Beloved, there is a great line that opens chapter 4 of First Timothy, which is, preach the word. Preach the word. In season and out of season, Timothy, preach the word. And the same truly admonition, the same admonition truly goes to each one of us. Christian, preach the word. Preach the word. You might say, well, preacher man, isn't that, isn't that your job? Aren't you the guy who preaches? Aren't you the one who stands up and heralds the word of God and answers, yes. Yes, I am. God's called me to do that. He's called me to preach the word, to preach Christ Jesus, which, as a side note, thinking of uh, Naomi Waltersdorf's celebration of life, as they called it, I was, as I mentioned before, exceedingly pleased that the minister preached the word. He preached Christ to a bunch of people who needed to hear of Christ, whether they're hurting believers who need to hear Christ or hurting unbelievers who, even more, need to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. We need faithful preachers to preach the word in and out of season. May it be so from the pulpit. But that's not enough. God calls every Christian to preach, to exclaim and to proclaim the glories of the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, people's salvation depends on it. The salvation of other people coming out of darkness into light, into the kingdom of God's dear Son, depends upon your preaching. Depends upon your life. Not in the kind of way where you set your hair on fire and you go real crazy because if, if you don't say the words, Jesus died on the cross to everybody you meet, then they're not going to be saved or some silly thing like that. It's not that. It's all under God's providential control. But he's ordained things in such a way that your words are powerful and important. And he's given you the responsibility to say them, to give them away, to preach Christ Jesus. God uses you. God uses your feeble words, just like God uses my feeble words in heralding the gospel. God has jars of clay to work with, just jars of clay. But each one of us has a responsibility as a Christian to preach the word. I wanted to read Acts chapter 8 as something of a subtext for the, the text in Romans chapter 10. Right, so something of a, like a, a narrative background to understanding what Paul's maybe talking about or, or exemplifying what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 10. In the book of Acts, we have the chapter prior, we have this long sermon from Stephen, right, in Jerusalem. And he stands up and he rehearses the whole history of Israel and comes down to that very generation and says, you guys are hard of heart. And you crucified the Lord of glory and says such things like that to them. And they burn with rage and they kill him. Right? He's the first Christian martyr. He's put to death for testifying, speaking the word of truth that did not want to be heard. That did not want to be heard among the Jews. And so Stephen is put to death. And as soon as Stephen is put to death, then this great persecution begins. What do you think that looks like? Sometimes I talk to people and they say, man, you know what I'd really like to do? I'd like to go back to the apostolic age. I'd like to go live under the apostles and hear their preaching and see their powerful acts, which would be terrific to hear their preaching and to see their powerful acts. But you also have to understand that that's the infant church, the baby. And it's constantly in the midst of bloody persecution. We don't understand, I don't think, that we live all the way down the line from things that have gone on in Christian history that give us freedom to gather, to 
proclaim the name of Christ, to say to the President of these United States, you must bow the knee to Jesus Christ, to say to the Governor, to everyone we can speak to, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father, without worrying about suffering, loss of life, or property in this land currently. Currently. Those, those blessings are kind of few and far between in history and go away easily and are prepared and brought about with much difficulty, like civilization itself. The Christians were scattered by what kind of persecution? Those big nasty Romans? The Greeks? No, the very people of God. It's Israel who's persecuting Israel. It's unbelieving Israel who's turned on the believing Israel who believes in Messiah, the one whom God has sent. It's Jewish persecution. And as they, as they receive that persecution, they scatter. Right? Out of Jerusalem they go into Judea, into Samaria, into the other parts of the earth, as we find that that's the, the plan that has been given all the way from beginning from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth, and thus you see kind of the outline of the book of Acts, watching the gospel work its way out. But it works its way out initially through persecution. Okay? By the preaching of the gospel and a response of violence to that. And there's Saul right in the mix. Right? You can tell you know, from, from Luke's standpoint and, and, and writing all this down and giving us the book of Acts, there's this main player who's coming. But he's raging against what he will be preaching shortly. Raging. Bloody rage. Violent rage against the church. Going from house to house, taking men and women and throwing them in prison and seeking their death. Why? Because they're blaspheming heretics. That's why. They think that this man Jesus of Nazareth is God. And that he came back from the dead. And from his standpoint and the the rigorous, zealous Jewish standpoint, that heresy must be put to death. That must go. Well, that heresy is Christianity. It is, it is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ all the way back to Adam and all the way to the end of the earth. So the Christians were scattered by that persecution. You come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, your life's going to get better, early Christian, right? You're going to get driven from your home and have to leave your city. Because you trust Jesus Christ. Because you proclaim Christ. Because you're baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only in certain little bubbles in history that a book like Your Best Life Now could ever be published and taken seriously. You understand that? Uh, historically, Christianity is like, no, you come to Christ and you're going to suffer for it. Now, as, as Christianity develops, as Christians exercise dominion and, and build, that builds for us a place to be Christian and not have to suffer the persecution of the world, the flesh, and the devil, particularly the world and the devil. Right? We can't really get away from our flesh no matter what. But we do have little ways in which, I think culturally and over time, Christians can build society, build realities that we can have freedom and worship the Lord. Of course, then when we do that, that's good, but there are temptations that come with that as well. We get fat and lazy. It's like we're given houses we didn't build, we're drinking wine from vineyards we didn't plant and all that, and we get fat and lazy and forget Yahweh our God because we're wrapped up in the pleasures of the flesh that we have so plentifully. Well, such is our age, and such is our temptation, and such is my temptation. So let's make sure we have that clear in our heads. It was not the temptation in Acts chapter 8. It wasn't those Jerusalem Christians that are so fat and happy and lazy and doing nothing. Not at all. You come to the Lord Jesus Christ in this particular period of time, 
you have troubles right now. And so the persecution God used to spread the gospel. He put persecution in Jerusalem so that the Christians would spread throughout Judea and Samaria. And as they went, what did they do? They preached the word. The word is like the good news. They gospeled the word is kind of how it goes as opposed to the, the specific word preach. It's, it's, they're giving the good news of the word. They're taking it with them. So it's not necessarily like they're standing on a soapbox or they're out on the corner preaching, but that they're just offering what's in their heart. They're just going along in life telling people around them what's in their heart, what makes them tick, why they're excited, where they're going, what they're doing. When you open your mouth to tell people about what's in your heart, what you're excited about, what you're doing, what comes out, what comes out of your mouth. Is it the last movie you saw? Maybe the last book you read? Maybe the last tractor you repaired? Nothing wrong with movies, books, or tractors. But what needs to be in our heart and on our lips is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our life. He is our life. And if he's our life, then he also needs to be in our speech as we go, even as these early persecuted Christians. Remember, the reason they're being persecuted is the thing they're talking about. <laughs> right? They're not hiding this thing. They're just putting it right on in front as they go. Now, Philip is an example there from Acts chapter 8 of, of not an apostle. He's not one of the apostles. They stayed there in Jerusalem while the, the, the other Christians scattered and, and, and Philip with them. And we'll pick him back up later. And his mission work here as he goes in chapter 8 of Acts, which initially moves through Simon the magician, very interesting, but also goes to the eunuch uh, from Ethiopia, both interesting and, and um, instructive for us as we think about Romans chapter 10. So flip back there and look at the line of questions that Paul asks. Verses 14 and 15. So he's, he's talking about right, calling on the Lord, calling on the name of the Lord to be saved. You know, as it were, reaching out your hand to God and saying, God, come save me. Come redeem me. I need you. I'm wicked. I'm, I need your righteousness. I need your holiness to cover me. Whatever, whatever terminology we have, um, or just be merciful to me, a sinner, uh, in the words of the tax collector. Something like that. The calling upon the name of the Lord. And he promises everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, as God, as God is, is, has it written, shall be saved. Everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then he turns around, and that's clearly a, it's kind of a salvific calling. A calling unto God unto salvation. We looked last week at the you know, different uses of the word calling on the Lord, that phrase, and it runs all through the Christian life. But here it's an evangelistic meeting and reaching out to Christ um, in particular. Here are the line of questions he has then. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? That might seem like a weird question. Because you might think that the believing is the calling on. By believing on the Lord Jesus Christ is the calling on God. But I think it's simpler than that. It's like if you don't believe... God exists, and you don't know anything about Him, how can you call on Him? Right? I mean, if you don't believe God exists, you're not going to call on a figment of your imagination. Right? You have to believe God exists and seek Him. And that's what's going on here. How will they know? How will they hear, how will they hear of God and who He is? And how are they going to believe in God and call out to Him unless they first know something about Him? I think that's the idea of believing. How will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? 
Now, one might take that question and say, well, couldn't God just make himself known? Couldn't God do the burning bush thing like he did with Moses? Um, Or any number of other things that God knows how to make himself known? And the answer is like, yeah, sure. Nothing prevents God, as far as I know, from doing what God wants. That's kind of like what it is to be God, right? Um, So he does what he wants. But what he's ordained that should come to pass is the obedience of the church in the mission of God. He's drawn us into his mission. Of course he could do it all himself. But he draws us in for our training and our discipleship and our building up of the church in our own lives as well. How are they to hear without someone preaching? God has ordained that the gospel must be heralded. It must be preached. The good news of Jesus must be declared. But that's the way it goes out. And you might think, well, that was in the days before cinema. Right? Uh, because isn't that a much more powerful medium? Like when you go to the movie theater and you're, you're watching, it's like, wow, you're overwhelmed with the colors and the sound. Isn't that a more effective medium than, you know, the suited necktie up here, like preaching at you? Say, well, maybe, humanly speaking, there are, you know, there are lots of mediums that are very powerful. But they aren't the ones that God has said to use. It's really that simple. It's really that simple. God says, I want you to preach. Open your mouth and talk. That's what I want you to do. Sure, make movies and make music and do all this other stuff. That's all Christian life. But the, the ministry of the gospel, that people should hear about God, recognize who he is, recognize their need, and cry out to him, comes into preaching of the gospel. That's how God is ordained it to be. How will they hear without someone preaching? And then the strange question at the end, how will they preach unless they are sent? It was said in the Second Great Awakening, around 1800, uh, that the Presbyterians actually made Princeton Theological Seminary right at that time, or a little bit later, 1812, in order to equip ministers to go west. Because there's this enormous flux of people coming from the East Coast and moving west, right? Um, and the, the church just can't keep up. People are just moving and moving and moving, and the church is like, well, what do they do? And the, the Presbyterians are dutifully trying to train pastors and get them equipped over the course of you know, a couple few years of seminary study to get them out there, but that's all too slow and cumbersome. Um, the Baptists just went. <laughs> they just went. Uh, it's, it's almost it's, it's anything with this because it's almost like you don't need to be sent. You just go, and you're, you're plowing the field by day, and you're preaching the gospel by night, and, and off the Baptists went. And the, uh, the, the Methodists as well, they were sent, they had circuit riders and things like that. But the reason I say this is because there's a sending of a missionary. There's a sending of someone who preaches the gospel. But it's not just ordination, or it's not just a missionary union organizing and sending. It really works its way back through the institution of the church, to the apostles of the church, to the head of the church, who himself is sent and sends his church. John 17, 18. John 17, of course, is the high priestly prayer of Christ, a chapter you should know well. Uh, pour over again and again. But one verse in here in particular I want to grab and, and show you. Verse 18 of John 17. Now, here is, he's speaking about his apostles right there. Okay, the guy's right in front of him that he's... He's been with through the years and taught, and there's, there's disciples. He's brought them up. That's what he's talking about, these guys right in front of him. And uh, I'll start at verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, 
because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. He's not asking that the apostles be taken out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. That's verse 18. As I have been sent in the world, so I have sent them. So the word here for send is apostolo. We get apostle from the verb apostolo, or the noun related to it. And it means sent one. The one who's sent. There are other words for sending as well. But uh, the word apostle is a sent one. Jesus was, pardon whatever I'm doing here, apostled by the Father. He was sent by the Father. He says, now as I've been sent, so now I send you. How will they preach unless they are sent? Christian, we are sent. Christians are sent. And here the apostles themselves are sent by Jesus. Go into the world. The world that hates you, the world that's opposed to you. Be sanctified in the word and go. You're sent, even as I've been sent into this cosmos. Now I send you into it, apostles, to take it, to take this word of mine. Now Jesus, then, is the sent one. And he, as the sent one of God, sends his apostles. Right here we have it, and we talk about the, uh, the Great Commission from Matthew 28 being just very much the same thing. Right? Here's this band of apostles. He says, okay, um, now here's what I want you to do. Go off and baptize the nations, and so on. We have the apostles sent by Jesus. But then the apostles go around, and they start setting up churches. Right? As they preach the gospel, people come to believe in Christ. They start setting up churches that have elders and deacons, and pastors, we have other giftings as well, though they might not be offices, evangelists, pastor, teacher. Uh, these are all these are part of the institution of the church that's being set up. Right? It's not just this spiritual amorphous thing out there that's invisible. It's partly that. But it's also an institutional reality that has offices and, and, and things that are done in certain ways and sacraments are administered. All this stuff goes on in the institution of the church. So we have Jesus, the sent one of God, who takes his apostles and sends them they, in turn, establish this church in the way it is ordained through, through pastors, teachers, elders, and so on. And then finally here, and we can see in Acts 8, every Christian is part of this sending. Every single Christian, every one of you baptized, every one of you who has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God calls you to preach the word. Because Christ has sent his apostles, who sent the church, and we are the church. We are the sent ones of Jesus Christ. Now, again, just bringing the, bringing the focus to where it is in Acts 8, which is they're sent in persecution. Right? They're, they're called by Christ and sent out into the world and says, now the world's going to attack you. The world's going to attack what you love. It's going to take your comforts. It may take your relationships. The very world may take your life. But Christ says, don't fear those who just can kill the body. Fear the one who, after your body is dead, can cast your soul into hell. That's the one to fear. And we see that going on in this early church. That in the midst of persecution, they don't seem to fear. They fear God. And they open their mouths to tell people this very message that's got them in hot water to begin with. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. There's the gospel trajectory. And what's the engine behind that? At least one of them, persecution. The world hating Christians and opposing Christians even violently. 
So that is the sent preacher. But what about the unbelieving hearer? You get that in verse 16, back in, in Romans chapter 10. We have the sent preacher, but we have this unbelieving hearing problem. Back to Romans 10. Verse 16, it says, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. They have not all obeyed what they've heard. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? You recall Isaiah's ministry was to go and preach to Israel that they wouldn't hear. That's part of the calling of of the prophet Isaiah. He's going to go to the people of God with the word of God, and they're all going to say, get out of here. We don't care. They're busy doing other things and and really serving other idols and so on. That's the ministry of, of, of Isaiah. And God says, okay, keep preaching to them, keep preaching to them, keep preaching to them until I destroy them. There's the ministry of Isaiah. So Isaiah's got this understanding. Who has believed what we're preaching? I'm just putting words into the air. No one believes them. No one hears them or cares. May that not be the case, children of God, with you. May you heed the word of the Lord. When God threatens, may you tremble. When God promises, may you believe. When He offers His Son, Jesus Christ, may you embrace Him with joy. And not take pearls and trample them in the mud like a pig. There's always unbelief. In fact, the gospel is preached out, especially in this evangelistic sense, it's preached in the world of unbelief. It's preached into the nations of unbelief or even into Israel in this particular time with unbelief. It's the unbelieving Israelites who have persecuted the church and gives them to spread. And as they spread, they go into synagogues and things and they find Jewish unbelief there as well. But not just Jewish unbelief, all the unbelief of the world. All the worldly structures and power that are against Yahweh and against His Christ. The church is surrounded by the world. The church is surrounded by the world. But even more than that, the church is infiltrated by unbelief. It's like the church herself is not even pure, right? Back to chapter 8 of Acts. So once Philip goes into Samaria and preaches... Uh, there's, there's been in Samaria this magician, a guy who works wonders. Say, we don't believe in magic. Well, then you should just read the Bible uh, and believe it instead. But anyway, so he's a, he's a wonder worker. He's a wonder worker. And they've, they've all are wrapped around his finger. What would this guy can do? And then Philip comes. He preaches the gospel. We can look back at Acts and, and read that. And with the signs and wonders he does, um, they believe. They hear the gospel and they believe. And it says in chapter 8, that he believed as well. Verses 12 and 13. But when they believed, that is the, 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 the people of Samaria, when they believed, Philip, uh, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of the Lord Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself was baptized, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing the signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Here's Philip, who's following Peter, who's baptized, who's amazed by the work of Peter. And then the apostles come to Samaria to move the apostolic gift of the laying on of hands and the the baptism of the Holy Spirit that's associated with water baptism over and over and over and over and over again in the Scriptures to come with apostolic authority and move it to Samaria. And then out to Judea, Samaria, or uh, in the ends of the earth, right, this apostolic work. So they come down and 
when Simon sees that when they lay hands on people, they receive the spirit, they receive spiritual gifts, and there's, there's something going on. He says, hey, I want that. How can I buy it? Can I buy this power? Well, he's a magician. He's bought plenty of powers in the past in different ways. Maybe he thinks this is just another one. And the apostles basically say, may your money perish with you. You're, you're in bitterness and sin. And, um, and that's what we hear. That's, that's within. Now, that's a baptized believer, it says. He believed, he was baptized, and yet he's in the depths of sin. That's within the church. Now, we know that the unbelief is outside of the church. But we also have to know there's unbelief within the church. And here's the truth of the matter. There's unbelief in your very heart. And in mine. That's all we really have to offer, is unbelief. If we have belief, it's because God has given us that faith. And faith gets the victory, but it does have to fight. And it fights unbelief. It fights not believing God's word. Taking someone else's word as more authoritative. Taking someone else's word as truer than what God has said, and so on. It's not just unbelief in the world. It's not even unbelieving magicians like Simon and so on in the church. It's in our very hearts. Not to take God at his word. Not to believe God. So, unbelief is all around. But here's a song. Though there be those that hate her, and false sons in her pale, against both foe and traitor, she ever shall prevail. Though with a scornful wonder men see her sore oppressed, by schisms rent asunder, by heresies distressed. Yet saints their watch are keeping, their cry goes up, how long? And soon the night of weeping shall be the morn of song. Is that too hopeful? I mean, is the the psalmist really considering the power of sin in the world? Even the power of schism and, and, and unbelief in the church? How about the power of sin in your very heart, in your flesh? We don't believe in the supremacy of the gospel. We don't think the gospel will fill the earth and bring all of its treasures in because of the power of rhetoric or the power of men or what we have or how we can make programs and trick people in. None of that. All of it is based upon one thing. The power of God. God makes His gospel work. God cleanses us from our sins. It's God's work. And so therefore, the hymnist here is not overly hopeful. We wait, and we watch, and we fight, but we know Christ will have the victory. His church will have the morn of song after a night of weeping. Verse 17 of Romans chapter 10 gets at this very hope and the power of God in it. Again, the question in 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has, re- uh, who has believed what he has heard from us? Then he says this, So faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. The word of Christ, that work of God in your life, in the life of your children, in the life of your family, in the life of the congregation, in the life of the church, the preaching of the gospel is the voice of Christ. It is Christ himself who comes 
by that message and works it into you, works it into your children, proclaims it to the world and brings people in out of darkness into light. It is the power of Christ in the preaching of the gospel. Faith comes by hearing. Christian faith comes by hearing. Are you short on faith? Could you use more, more strength in your faith? What should you do? Well, there are a number of things to do. The first one is listen. Listen. Open your ears and your heart to God as His Word is preached, because when the Word is preached, it is the Word of Christ. That's where He meets us. Of course you should study your Bible. Of course you should be in Christian fellowship and enjoying prayer and sharing your lives together. Of course all that. And that, that's all part of this too. But there's this ministry of the gospel, not just in evangelism, though principally there, here, but also in the discipleship of the church. It's the heralding, the preaching of the gospel. It's God's word opened up in the ears of God's people with the Holy Spirit driving it from the ears to the heart and changing men, women, boys and girls. The, the things of this world that were alluring to us made by His grace say, yeah, those things can come and go. I have Christ Jesus, the pearl of great price. And I'm excited about that. And I want to tell you about Him. I want to let you know what Jesus has done for me, what Jesus has done for the world. That He becomes to us that great treasure about which we must speak. We see the preaching back in Acts chapter 8. So we saw that in verses 12 and 13 with Simon. I'll read those again. But there's the preaching of the gospel and the response to it there. That's verses 12 and 13 again. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news, they believed Philip who preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized. Both men and women, even Simon himself believed and was baptized as he continued with uh, and he continued with Philip. So we have the, the preaching, the ministry of the gospel here, and the preached gospel is right in the middle of Philip's ministry. That's what he's doing. He's going and preaching. God's attending that preaching with signs. God's doing works, supernatural works of healing and exorcism and so on, to accompany the gospel being preached. And we see that regularly with the apostles, although we see it fade off by the end of their ministry. Even the apostle Paul, who had the gift of healing, couldn't heal folks at the end of his ministry. So it's not this kind of increasing spiritual gifts. It's an increasing gospel that's preached with the initial science to show that this is the message from God. Listen to the preacher. So it was with Simon. Look at down at verses 34 and 5 with the eunuch. Now, of course, the eunuch is here. He's come from Jerusalem to worship. He's headed back home. And you can read about him directly. I just want to get at the preaching and this kind of word, the ministry of the word here, verses 34 and 35. And Peter said to him, am I in the right one? Nope. Sorry, that's the next chapter. <laughs> verses 34 and 35. I had Aeneas in that one. I'm like, I'm talking about Aeneas. Uh, verses 34 and 35 of chapter 8. And when the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? He's reading Isaiah out loud. As people in antiquity would read out loud. He says to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Well, there's a teed up shot for you. Hey, let me tee that up just right. Okay, what are we going to do? And Philip knocks it out. He says, He opened his mouth. Christian, 
He opened his mouth. He spoke. Right? He responded to a question. That's nice. Sometimes you get a question. But you have to be ready to open your mouth and tell what's on your heart. Tell what's there. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the Scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Right? And then we have the next scene of baptism. Just like in, in Samaria. They hear the gospel and they're baptized. And here, the eunuch, his eyes are opened by the explanation, the preaching, the teaching of, of Jesus Christ by Philip. And of course, all that's quite the, the scripture. He's reading the prophets and expositing the prophets, showing that they taught of Christ. Now, Christ himself speaks in the word. This is Christ ministering his grace, his life, through the preaching of the word. Do you hear the Lord, Jesus Christ, speak in the preaching of the Word? Do you come and receive from God in the reading of your Word in the, in the private? Sure, in your own private devotions or as a family, absolutely. But in the heralding and the preaching and the proclamation of Christ, do you hear Christ speaking? Do you hear Christ calling? Christ Jesus calls you to Himself. He says, come into my death. Come die with me. And then come live with me in newness of life forever. He is the Prince of God. He is our champion. He is our Savior. And He calls you. He knows how to call people so that they call on Him. Right? He knows how to work in people and move. The, the Word of Christ comes. The, the Sovereign Lord Jesus Christ works in people's hearts and minds so that they cry out. So they hear the good news that's preached by a guy who sent, and by the word of Christ they believe. And by the word of Christ are you fed week by week by week, kept believing. Right? Isn't it God who keeps us by faith, Peter tells us, until Christ should be revealed? Well, that faith is fed, Christian, in the preaching of the gospel, in the preaching in the word of Jesus Christ. Christ knows how to call us so that we call on Him. Christ knows how to do it, and He does it by His Word. So Jesus, then, by way of conclusion, is the sent one. Jesus Himself is the sent one. He sent His apostles, who have ordained and are organized the church, that we have that same message that we preach, that Jesus preached, that the apostles preached. The Lord Jesus Christ crucified, and sent into the world to be crucified. To be raised from the dead, to ascend back to his Father, and pour out a spirit on this sent body, that they should be empowered, that they should be zealous, that they should be bold, Christian, that they should open their mouths. They should make so bold as to tell people what they love and whom they love, and the Lord Jesus Christ who has done so much, and save them to the uttermost. Let that rest in your heart, and God call you. Say, come to Christ. And as you come to Christ, die with Him. Be raised with Him. And speak the message that He has come to speak, and that He's ordained us to speak, and to give away to everyone. Unbelief is all around, outside the church, inside the church, even in our very hearts. We need the preaching of the gospel. We need the word of Christ, week by week, day by day. We are a needy people. And we live in the midst of a world full of needy people, even though we don't recognize it, and often they don't recognize it. So hear the word of Christ. 
Hear the word of Christ now. God calls you in Christ to come now. To rest in Him. To rejoice in Christ Jesus. And to obey Christ Jesus, who is the Lord and Master and the Savior of the world. Christian, preach the Word. Preach the Word. Amen.